Hey, what's up? Hey, friend, thanks for coming over tonight. It's a great night for a campfire. The fireflies are out in force this summer. They're so surreal, like God's little flying organic LEDs. Yeah, that's the bullfrogs down at the creek. They're out in force tonight after the nice summer shower we had today. I'm telling you, my friend, it's going to be a good one. Hey, this is Kenny Price with Guat Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Dear friends, we continue to pray for those who are suffering in Afghanistan, especially for the American citizens who have been left behind. And we pray that God will deliver them from the coming tyranny and most likely death. So it's a very serious time in our nation, and we need to continue to pray for our nation. Uh, you can't help but look at this entire situation and to see all of the things that are happening that are just counterintuitive and that appear to be coming from being a numbskull and numbskullery. But folks, we have to keep in mind that what is happening is happening at the hands of Almighty God. And it's going to play in today to the scripture that we're going to be looking at as we continue our series, Plain Revelation. And we're going to be looking at the first part of chapter 13. And I'm not saying that the events that are happening today are a part of the very end times of the end times, which we are looking at as the Great Tribulation. But friends, it has all the fingerprints of God on it because God is making a mockery of this nation, which was once the greatest power on the earth. And yet it's being shown to be buffoon, to be buffoonery, to where unarmed people can, quote unquote, siege, lay siege of the capital, to where a band of less than 70,000 people, as our own president described them, can completely take over a nation in a heartbeat, in a moment. And as I said in the last couple of podcasts, to order us out of the nation like little kids and to send us packing, to send us running, to send us fleeing. And folks, this is just a foretaste of glory divine. And when I say glory divine, we have to keep in mind that the things that come in Revelation chapter 13 are coming through and at the authority of Almighty God on earth. And it is to carry out His purposes. You see, we're reminded that He is offended. He is ultimately offended at the wickedness of man. And it's only through His divine grace that's being ushered to us right now through the power of His Holy Spirit, which came as a result of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we do not see the wrath of God. But yet, in the last day, all of the wrath that has been being stored up as the, the battle hymn of the Republic sings, that it's going to be the grapes of wrath. They're going to be released. The grapes of wrath are going to be released. And friends, you're going to have to bear with me because this podcast is going to be a little bit dif difficult to do. I'm already stammering and stuttering, but my mind is filled with the things that are here before me. And uh, I'm going to have to look at several different places. I don't have multiple screens from which to work. And so I'm going to have to be moving back and forth. But I want you to grab a hold of what I'm sharing today. And friend, the, the, the battle cry, the call to you today and to me is that you and I, as I've been saying through many podcasts, we better make sure that our calling and election is sure. We better make sure that in ourselves that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, regardless of come what may, that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Because at the appropriate time, the God of all creation is going to unleash the man that we know throughout history who is called the Antichrist. Now keep in mind that he is going to be represented as the Christ. Okay, I want to make that clear before we get into the passage, before we even read the scripture. 
and that the Antichrist to the world is going to be perceived as the promised Christ, the promised Messiah that the Jews originally rejected, and they and all are going to receive this person who is fully possessed by Satan himself as the promised Messiah, not a pseudo-Christ. The world has said that the Christ that the Christians of today serve and worship was pseudo. He was false. The Jews, the ones he came to first, who were his own, they rejected him and called him counterfeit. They said that he was a blasphemer and that he was from his father, the devil. And so now, at the end of the age, the Almighty God is going to unleash on this planet one who is going to be the pseudo-Christ, the false Christ, but yet fallen man in his ultimate glory, and I mean that in a negative sense, they are going to bow down and worship this one as the Messiah. Now keep in mind, there's several things that we need to we need to pay attention to here. The first thing we're going to read in chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, that we're going to talk about the beast that comes up out of the sea. I'm going to summarize it first. We're going to talk about it in detail. But the beast that comes up out of the sea is the one that you and I would think of as the Antichrist. He is going to be the one who sets himself up as God. He is going to be the one who is going to receive the head wound, which is healed. He is going to be the one that the second beast, which we see in the second part of this chapter, points to and says, he's the one. He is the promised Messiah. And that being said, that the second beast that we see in the second part of this chapter, in later parts of the book of Revelation, he is called the false prophet. We know that in the end, when this all comes crashing down under the judgment of God, it tells us that Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be cast into the lake of fire. So we see three persons, one who is spirit only. Satan is never flesh. He cannot become incarnate. Incarnate means to give concrete or actual form to, having a bodily form, especially a human form. Friend, let me remind you, you've heard preachers say that the Antichrist is Satan incarnate. That is false. The Antichrist is going to be a human being on this earth like you and I, and that person is going to be fully possessed of the devil. Satan has the ability to do that. We see the, the descriptions of satanic possession in the Bible, and Satan has the capability to basically gut a human's mind and take full control of the body and full control of the tongue and do with it as he wishes. The beast that we're going to look at here in just a minute is that person who... Unlike other people who were demon-possessed, he is going to be possessed by the ruler of the demons, Satan himself. But it is possession. It, it is possession, okay? He is not going to be made flesh. It is not going to be Satan in the flesh. It is going to be a human being who is totally possessed by Satan himself. Possessed means to own or to have ownership of something, to take control of or influence of somebody affecting the person's behavior or thinking. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father. He is, in the Spanish, it's unigenito. He is uniquely the one. Okay, Satan is just someone who is going to possess. Keep in mind that Satan is a person. He has all the attributes of a person. He's not human. He's never been human. He will never be human. But he is a person, okay? He is in a contained spiritual body. He will always be spirit. He will never be flesh. But the second beast that's spoken of here in chapter 8 is also called the false prophet because we see later on in the book of Revelation that there are only going to be three representatives 
that represent the unholy trinity, and that is going to be Satan himself, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And keep in mind that in the same way that Christ came to earth and pointed to his heavenly Father, the person who takes possession of the throne of God here on earth in a blasphemic way, in a symbolic way, he is going to point to his father, Satan, as being the God of the universe. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But let me read in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. It says, And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Verse 8, all those who live on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. Talking about Jesus. Now, we're not going to cover this second part today, but I want to go ahead and read it to give a full context. Verse 9, it says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. Chapter 11, the beast from the earth. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. So we see in the last chapter, it says that Satan was standing on the shore. And then now in verse 13, he's watching as this one rises to power. And keep in mind that it is going to be a human being. The second beast, too, will be a human being. But dear friend, I want to make note, and we're not going to get into this big time today, but I want to make note Keep in mind that the second beast, the false prophet, is going to tell the people of the earth to build a, an image of the first beast to worship. And one of the most horrific things that will ever be seen and witnessed in history is that it is going to it was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast is going to be brought to life with the breath of life 
so that the image of the beast could speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Dear friend, there is coming something that is going to be so horrendous, and I'm telling you that we're seeing some of the first signs of it right now, that mankind is coming up with the capability to take that which is inanimate and make it animate. It is going to really have the breath of life in it. And so, dear friend, that whatever it is that they're doing, they're already working on that, I can guarantee you, but they're going to take an inanimate object and breathe it, give it the breath of life, and it's going to come to life and speak. And the scripture here does not say that it is trickery or it is deception. They're going to somehow be able to give it the breath of life. Friend, I want to remind you, and I've talked about this, I think, in many, many podcasts ago, but they came out with Dolly, and they took a lamb, a sheep, and they produced an offspring from its DNA, and they brought that offspring to life, and that offspring was a, 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 an exact replica of Dolly the sheep, or I guess maybe the Dolly, the replica was the, called Dolly. The point of it is terrible, terrible things in regards to the manipulation of organic things, things that God has brought to life. Of course, you remember it backfired because they found out that the newborn sheep was born basically with the same genetic age as the mother and began to immediately suffer problems in its joints, like an old age. But dear friend, they are working on hideous things at this moment. Can you imagine that back all those years ago in Nazi Germany, the terrible things that they were working on with genetics and the desire to, to cross-migrate things is just hideous. But friend, by the time this comes around, they're going to have the capability to do the very thing, which, according to the scripture, has all the signs of divinity because it is only God who can give the breath of life. And so somehow they are going to figure things out to a point, and perhaps it will be ultimate deception, but yet to the people on earth, they are going to see the inanimate be brought to life. So you're talking about people, human beings that are so wickedly possessed that they have unbelievable power, and it's power that is being granted by God Almighty. But the beast that comes out of the sea, the first person of this unholy trinity, okay, if you really want to say the second person of the trinity, if you call Satan the first person of the trinity, unholy trinity, that the beast, but as we see things on the earth, from the human perspective, we're going to see the beast, the, which is the Antichrist, the false prophet, and then the image of the beast that comes to life and that's able to pronounce death on people. But this beast, the Antichrist, the term used here is therion, which means an animal or quadruped. And it's to denote a very a wicked person, a bad person in the sense of being both harmful and dangerous, not just a wild animal but possesses the idea of harm and danger. He's going to be a person who is bestial in nature. In the book of Titus chapter 1, verse 12, it says that the Cretans are always liars and wicked beasts. They were terrible people. But this person is going to be satanically, supernaturally energized, but he, again, is not going to be Satan incarnate. It's going to be an actual human being who is birthed to human parents, who is totally taken over, his brain and his mind gutted by Satan himself and taken control of like a puppet. And he is a human man. He's going to be the ultimate killing machine. He's going to be a monster. He's going to be out of the same mold as Nero Caesar or Adolf Hitler. Someone has said that in every generation, Satan has a man ready to step into the role of the beast, the Antichrist. And I believe that this is true. Satan does not know the time. 
Yet the rise of the beast Antichrist to power is in accordance with the time frame of the first 42 months, which God has marked out in the Great Tribulation period of seven years, which is 84 months. So Satan must always be ready to move into action when the time arises. And he's going to be the ultimate world leader. Within the scope of one man, we will see all of the images and the marriage of politics and religion. He will be the most feared leader of all time, for he will have the most devoted followers any political leader could have. His demand for worship will take political possession into a spiritual level. And so, folks, he's going to be the ultimate leader. He's going to be the merging of religion and politics. He will come to power by a pseudo-resurrection. The beast, the ultimate evil man, will be a man unparalleled. He will be one who is full of blasphemy. Blasphemy is defined as abusive speech against someone's reputation, to speak against in order to harm. The beast will accuse God, the heavenly host, and all who claim heaven is home, evil. Evil's goal is the perversion of good. To pervert means to cause to turn aside or away from what is good or true or morally right. In verse 1, it says that upon its head is a name of evil speaking. Verse 5, and there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. In verse 6, it says he opened his mouth to blaspheme. Friend, this is the, the signifying mark of the Antichrist when he comes to power is that he is going to be bold and braggadocious and he is going to speak blasphemic things against Almighty God and call him evil in the same way they did to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he walked physically on this planet. So the beast will be a man of unparalleled blasphemy. He's going to be a beast of unparalleled deception. And the deception will parody our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Parody means a feeble or ridiculous imitation, to closely imitate for comic effect or in ridicule. Here we see the deceptive parody of Christ in three ways. The first thing is a faked death. Remember that at the beginning of this book, Jesus Christ told John in chapter 1, verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. This Antichrist, he's going to suffer a head wound that is going to be horrific, and it's going to be a sense of being slaughtered to death. Slaughter refers to a person's or animal's with implication of violence and merciless. And it's going to be for the purpose of evoking sympathy and crying out for sympathy, but also for worship. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, the same word, the lamb appeared as slaughtered. So it has that same concept of being slaughtered mercilessly, like an innocent lamb. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, slaughter, and destroy. And this wounding is mentioned three times here in the book of Revelation, chapter uh, 3, chapter 12, and chapter 14. And we have the indication by which he's going to be killed. And John says that the weapon in, in verse 14, by the wound of the short sword, a dagger that's used for stabbing. So his deception, he's going to fake his death. It will not be real death, but by all accounts, it's going to be a wound into the head by a, a dagger knife that stabs him to death that appears to be to death. And so he's going to be the great deceiver like no one ever before on the planet Earth. It's going to be a fake resurrection. In verse 3 and verse 12, it says, And the strike of the death of him was healed. And so we're going to see this fake resurrection. The third thing is persuasive scars. In John chapter 20, verse 25, it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, This is Thomas said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. 
Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And so Satan, too, is going to have scars from his stabbing to his head, and he's going to point to it to the entire world. He who has the wound of the dagger and lived. And it's the concept of in its entirety, we see that all of this has happened. And you can see the beast after recovery parading on the television to show off his scars of death in order to tout his resurrection power. And friend, it is going to be this sense that you can't take him out by death that the people are going to say and give him dominion because they're going to say, who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? You see, in truth, this is the truth about Jesus Christ and that you can't keep him down because you can't kill him. And yet the Antichrist is going to do this fake death, this fake resurrection, and he's going to have the scars to show. And because of the fact that it appears that he has actually been murdered, stabbed to death, and then brought back to life, that he is unstoppable. And so the third thing, the third attribute there regarding his deception, not only a fake death, a fake resurrection, persuasive scars, but the third thing is he's going to have total dominion. Friend, think about this, both political and religious. The world's cry will be, verse 4, as I said, who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? You see, as I've already said, Satan is empowering him, but this man is not incarnate. It says the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And friend, I want to remind you that it is within the capability of Satan to bestow world dominance to the Antichrist. Matthew chapter 4, where Satan takes Christ away for his time of temptation and he offers the, the governments of the world to Christ if he would only bow down and worship him. Satan will not allow anyone to share the stage with the beast. All people will be beneath him, including pagan idolaters. Dear friend, right now, as we deal with radical Islam, and you look at them as a formidable foe, and we say to ourselves, well, when Satan comes to power, he won't be concerned with Islam because they are not quote-unquote Christian. But dear friend, when Satan comes to power through the possession of the Antichrist, the possessed human being, that they are not going to put up with anyone else receiving glory, receiving attention, receiving accolades, that all people would be put beneath the power of the Antichrist. So even those who practice Wiccan, even those who practice Taoism, Shintoism, all of the other pagan idolaters, everything is going to be brought down and everyone is going to bow their knee to this one who claims to be the Christ. He's going to have political dominion. Verse 3 says that the whole world followed. It followed in right behind him. In verse 7, it says every tribe, people, language, and nation. Everyone. And it talks about the great and the small, the free and the slave. Every single person on the planet who does not have the mark of God on them is going to bow their knee to this one who claims to be Christ. And he's going to have political dominion, as I've said, that the whole world's going to follow him. He's going to have religious dominion. In verse 3, it says that the people were astonished. They marveled. They were so impressed that what? Verses 4 and 8, they worshiped the beast. Worship here means to go prostrate, to prostrate themselves, to fall down before, to genuflect, to bend the knee. In verse 7, it says that the beast was allowed to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And dear friend, right now, I want to remind you that this is what the scripture says is coming for those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You want to ask me why? Why does it have to be this way? Dear friend, I cannot answer that question, but I can turn to the fact that God is always good. There is no evil in him. 
And so the things that he is ordaining and has ordained and has already written ahead of time that are coming to pass, these things must be this way. The Apostle John is giving us this word today through this divine revelation. So why? So that we will not be afraid. So that we will stand with great power and might in spite of those things that come our way. Again, in the chapter here, the last part that we're going to cover in another podcast, it says in verse 10, the very end, it says, this calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. That's what we've got to have our mind on. That's what we've got to be about is the endurance and the faithfulness from the saints. And friend, the time of travail has already come upon us to challenge us as far as what we believe. We are being pushed and shoved by our central government in a way that we've never seen before in the history of America. And friend, this delusional spirit has flooded the entire world. And my prayer is that like Lance Wallnow, who is a a biblical preacher, uh, a link to him on the, the show notes, But Lance believes that there's going to be one last great uh, flood of salvations into the kingdom and then the time of the end. And that very well may be. That is my prayer today, that the things that I'm reading to you today, that God will give us reprieve and that we will see one last great movement of the Holy Spirit of God that will usher in thousands, if not millions of people into the kingdom of heaven before this terrible, terrible time comes. And again, let me remind you that those who have faith, that in the end, the Bible's already told us up front in the book of Revelation that we will be super conquerors. And dear friend, if we don't keep our mind on that fact, we're not going to make it through. And I want to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that come what may, I'm standing strong with Jesus because in, in the end, the things that he has promised will come to pass. All of the world's systems, both political and religious, will fail and fall at the feet of the beast. He will embody the perfect evil world blend of politics and religion. He will be the Messiah the Jews were looking for when they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in meekness. They wanted strength. They wanted earthly dominion. And Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus, when tempted with taking power prematurely, when Satan was offering him the governments of the world, what did Jesus say? He said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's where it has to stay. That our challenge today is turn our focus and mind on Jesus Christ. So friend, today, this is our word of encouragement in the midst of a very difficult passage, in the midst of very heavy words, in the midst of very disturbing words, and it is worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Be steadfast and be faithful, trusting God that he is always good that his plans for you are made in love and he is going to see you through to the end and the reward will surpass any difficulty that you and I encounter on this planet. We, like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you know him as your Savior today, that we are invincible and we cannot be kept down ultimately. We may suffer physical death before Jesus comes again through illness, disaster, in the midst of all the struggle, in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of the grief that we're seeing, that you and I, if we know Jesus, we've got to every moment of every day just say, my thoughts are on him. My trust is in him. He will not let me down. He will come to my rescue. He has promised me my salvation. He has promised me eternal life in heaven in a place where there'll never be night again. It will be eternally day because Jesus will be the light and we will have wealth and riches beyond comprehension. And with that, my dear friend, I bid you peace.